Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Well, the wind is howling, the temperature has plummeted. In fact, it was kind of funny today at work, um, as you guys know, and as uh, Johnny's going to learn through this episode, uh, I, I do a lot of work either outside or in a unheated or unair conditioned uh, shop. I work on a, a farm, and uh, we grow uh, a lot of a lot of whitetail habitat. Actually, Johnny, we uh, grow uh, prairie grasses and flowers. We sell a lot of food plot mixes and habitat improvement mixes and stuff like that. And uh, so it's an awesome job for, for a uh, deer hunter, right? But uh, one yeah. of those things is you're outside all the time. I don't really mind that because, I don't know, I like, I like the changing seasons. Uh, summer is actually the worst time to be working outside, in my opinion. <laughs> but uh, my uh, coworker, Nicholas... Who's been on this podcast before? He is not a hunter, but he's a very knowledgeable guy in the the prairie industry and you know putting together habitat mixes and so forth. Um, he showed up to work today, and I said he looked like he was getting ready to go uh, golfing. He wore uh, <laughs> he wore like shorts and a t shirt and a sweater, like a sweater vest over his t shirt. He just looked like he. <laughs> He's looking like he's ready to hit. Ready pe- for the course. That's right. The links. That's right. <laughs> ready to hit Pebble Beach, and uh, uh-huh. and uh, he's like, I thought it was going to be warm today. We had this huge cold front that just sank in, uh, really kind of this morning. I mean, even last night it was still pretty warm, and uh, I got out to my truck this morning. Is one of those days where your windows are fogged over from the inside, and yeah. uh, like that's how fast that that uh cold front sat in you know like it was I, how does that work then i think it was warmer inside my truck than it was outside or something like that um is how that works and what what temperatures were you at Ken? we hit yesterday we hit uh into the 70s and then yep. i think today it was 40s so oh wow so big cold front very windy believe it or not we had some storms yesterday morning but um, not really much for storms. A lot of rain and a lot of wind. So it's kind of a different kind of, you know, front. And it's still very windy today, and the temperatures just continue to drop. I mean, Johnny, I wish you were in Iowa, buddy. You, it's it's a buck killing day tomorrow. Yeah. And and uh, it's really the first major uh, cold snap that we're getting. We're we're gonna hit freezing temps tonight overnight. And uh, through the weekend, might even get a little dusting of snow. I mean, could you ask for a better alignment with uh, yeah, with what's going on in a, a whitetail's, you know, brain right now and uh, the weather? I mean, just pretty perfect, wouldn't you say? Oh yeah, definitely. I, definitely, if I can get eight to ten degree drop, but we are talking about it's pretty drastic. We're at, we're in seventies. I was in southern Ohio mm-hmm. the last five days, and it was seventy-four. And then even at night, yeah, high six, six mid sixties. We're in shorts, yep, hunting down here. I mean, at night and stuff. It was, and I thought 
summer was over, but it just keeps just, hanging on out I here. Know. But I think we're gonna get we're getting some cold. It must be that that weather you got probably coming our way. Yeah, yeah. I got a buddy who's hunting down in Indiana, and he said Sundays when they're supposed to get this what we're getting now. So it's uh, it's mm-hmm. rolling across the country though, and man, there is not. I've I've just been thinking about this like literally since last week. Um, well, we've been kind of lining it up for the past couple weeks, I guess, uh, this podcast. And, uh, I'm like, man, there is no one better to be hosting right now than Johnny Stewart, a guy who, I guess, in my opinion, from an outside observer, I'd say like adapt is probably a, a key term that would define your style of hunting. I mean, it's like, you're, you're always rolling, you're off the new ground, you're you're uh you know kind of like running and gunning but across the country (laughs) you know it's not just you're not just running and gunning on your your back 40 or whatever from one setup to another you're you're truly like uh taking mobile hunting into you know a, a really large scale approach and so you know how to make adjustments because that's what you've had to do uh, for all these years. And I think it's been, I mean, we were just kind of in a way describing it. It's been kind of a weird whitetail season so far. Um, honestly, just from like taking a, a general view of what's been going on on social media, I really haven't seen a lot of bucks hit the ground yet. Have you? Yeah, no, I was, yeah. A lot of people I know just, so kind of, doesn't make me feel bad that our last two to three weeks we were thinking we didn't put much time in a tree and the times we did didn't have much success. You're kind of on the fence of uh, when you're in a new area and you don't uh, know exactly what's happening, but it is hunting season. It's a struggle to say, I'm staying out of the woods. I'm going to scout and I'm going to get to know this area, know what's happening. Mm. or you know you're there to hunt the season's winding down you got a bunch of other plates you want to hit and it's like do i sit in a tree so that's a that's a a tough thing to deal with like in the situations i'm at because we're out there and i got a guy filming with me this year harry mack he's he's the mac daddy here he's filming but that's uh, awesome um, you know we're out there trying to get some action and then you know so we try to force ourselves to hunt, but anything in life you try to force usually doesn't work, doesn't fit. Yeah, it's a good so point. it's got it's got to be yeah, you got to be um, knowing that your your odds might be low. You only have so much time, so maybe it might be better to get cameras out or scout and, and really know what's happening. You know, because you could be so close but so far away with these deer. You know. Yeah, that. I mean, I think what you're describing there is just like this turmoil. That really dominates, um, you know, our our minds during this. I I always and I'm doing better with it this year, but I always feel this guilt when I'm not out when I technically can. Yeah. I have three I have three young kids and and of course my wife. You know, I got to You know, they're they're priority number one, right? You got to be got to mm-hmm. be taking care of that stuff first. And so those moments when they come. You know, like, yeah, I technically could get out right now and, 
if I really kind of forced it, you know, and mm-hmm. when you don't, it's like you almost feel this twinge of guilt, like, oh, I could have gotten out and I didn't go and maybe this was the yeah. day, you know, and you just, yeah, definitely. You, you can't, you can't let that brain worm, you know, creep in and, and, uh, cause what it does is it, I think it colors your overall morale through the season and so much, so much of, uh, especially archery season is keeping a positive frame of mind. Would you agree? That it's definitely a mental game. That's what I like about it. Yes. Physical. Some of these areas got to get up early, got to be able to withstand the cold, get up on a mountain, this and that. But mentally, yeah, there's con- a lot can go wrong or you could start, you know, as human nature, be a pessimist and think it's not happening. So when stuff like that starts creeping into your mind, um, tell yourself, I'd look and tell myself, why are the reasons, what are the reasons to put you here to hunt this spot mm-hmm. or wherever it may be? But don't, you know, overlook obvious things like, yeah, we put some pressure on a skier, someone bumped them, you know. Um, be, be optimist, but be realist in, in reality is, is you know, is, do I have the odds? Of, you know, we just hunt an area four or five days. We kind of new area, put a little pressure on the deer, and, you know, we just we actually were in a tree tonight till six and the wind wasn't right again. And it wasn't exact. And it just felt, it just didn't I like we got down and left. We had a, we got a five hour drive. Mm-hmm. We got out of here, moved some cameras. We're going to come back with a fresh start, but, um, yeah, be, be realistic with your areas and, and, um, you know, but when you're hunting, it's, it's such a, like, you know, you're on the fence, like, be, be optimistic and, and, and tell yourself why you're there. You know, give yourself all the good reasons. But like I said, be be realistic. Say, maybe I bumped this deer, this and that. So mm-hmm. I was thinking of something else there, Ken, but it kind of slipped my mind, you know. Um, but, yeah, um, it's 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 mentally, it's it's tough, yeah. you know, yep. um, for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's well said. And, and it is important to remind ourselves, hey, why am I out here? Um, part of it is, you know, I, I guess in this being the first gen hunter podcast, this is only my ninth season of hunting. You know, I didn't grow up hunting, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's like when I first started out, I viewed hunting as, oh, that's like a, that's like a hobby. You know, that's like a pastime, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's fun. It's something fun to do. But by, by this point, by, you know, I get it. It's a lifestyle. Like it's yeah. not. It's not the same thing as like, you know, back in my, you know, football playing days, you know, you'd remind yourself after a tough loss, oh, it's just a game, you know, like, yeah, you know, this this stings to lose and all that, but it's just, it's, it's, I I would not put hunting in that same category, you know, like I would not say that, like, like there, it's a more serious thing in my opinion, like it's, you know, this is how I get food for my family. This is, you know, that's number one. And yeah, there's absolutely like a sportsman side of it, you know, but, uh, there, part of it is like, you know, we feel that pressure too of, I gotta get food, you know, I gotta, I gotta provide for my family this way and, and, and that. And so, but it is important to go back and say, you know, a lot of the reason I'm out here is because of the enjoyment side of it. So I need to make sure that I'm still enjoying it. And, and so I'm trying to. 
you know, <laughs> I'm trying to work through that too. But, but yeah, it's been a challenging season so far. And I should tell the listeners right now, uh, Johnny is working me in on uh, the phone while he's driving down the road. Uh, so this is a genuine, uh, like hardcore whitetail conversation. Uh, recently, uh, my coworker, uh, Nicholas, again, we do a work podcast called the Prairie Farm Podcast. And he was talking to, we were we were working on this project with a, a film crew who was um, kind of partnered with uh, Doug Duran, and we're doing some work with Doug Duran, and um, was sharing the land. And uh, my coworker Nick was talking with the film crew guys, and he's like, um, "You know, when we whenever we got to do a uh, remote podcast, he's like, I hate the sound quality of remote podcasts. So I always ask the person to like record it." separately on their on their uh like either computer or their cell phone and then they'll 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 email him the the recording and and the guy who he was talking to like cut him off he's like yeah but i'm a big whitetail guy and sometimes i just love it when they call these guys who are you know like living in the middle of nowhere and they're in on their cell phone and they're, you know, they're busy messing with a tree stand while they're talking, you know? And this is like, that's, this is that kind of conversation. Johnny's a hunting dude. He's out on the road. And, uh, so, so, uh, he's joining in on this, but, uh, you're coming in really, really good for a, for a cell phone, uh, podcast, man. So, so, so far so good. good, but you know, with describing your career in all this way, and we'll get back into the details of, you know, why this season's been unique so far. It's been kind of a strange October, um, kind of a muted October, I guess. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, with all this running and gunning and going to all the different states and, uh, you know, really pursuing this lifestyle as hard as you have, there's got to be like a hunt that you would hang your hat on. Like, um, when, when it all came together, you thought to yourself, man, that was a career defining hunt, or that was, that's where I, that's something where I can really feel like, yeah, I got that right. Can you, uh, tell the story of that hunt for us? Yeah, I think definitely. I probably back when I, um, was younger, I was just an average deer hunter, like everybody, you know, in my teens. And uh, it took me a while to get my first buck, right? And mm-hmm. I actually got it with a gun. Uh, I've hunted, I hunted for years. And I think after that, I, had, I then shot a deer with a bow, and I was hunting for years. So then I, had a, I just had a couple deer under my belt, a fair amount of does, and, and I decided um, I wanted to start early on in my 20s. I wanted to keep challenging myself, and so I, I wanted to try to go after you know more mature deer mm-hmm. um i felt like i did a lot wrong and I, I i did end up get it right and i think once i got it right i got one with a gun then with a the bow i said oh, man it was a big boost in my confidence mm-hmm. and i think anybody out there hunting needs to kill some deer and and get get your confidence up shooting and stuff like that but um so into my twenties, on a, you know where I grew up, there was nothing like managed land, uh, sure. old coal mine town here. I lived near Pittsburgh, and 
you just hunted kind of where you grew up across the street and everybody else hunted and there was, you know, some big deer, um, but nothing, no one was, no, there was maybe one or two guys that hunted big deer, but for the most part, everybody was deer, deer hunters. So, sure. um, I had permission to hunt and here we were able to, you're allowed to spotlight the PA. So when, okay. when we were young, you're allowed to, you're allowed to spotlight to 11 o'clock at night. You're not allowed to have any weapon. So that was a pastime of ours when we were younger. We'd go out, you know, spotting fields, basically. Um, and we started seeing a, a decent, we would go out in January, you know, like hmm. this is what we did. We were young, you know, and um, always curious about deer and found a, um, a decent buck. I'm thinking maybe 120. So fast forward to the next year. And uh, this deer blew up to about 155 or something like that. So we oh, spot nice. him in the summer. Yeah, he was hanging with another deer, and we were able to spot him. And everybody in town was after this deer. It was a talk of town, <laughs> you know. And so I just, man, that was before maps. So it was real woodsmanship, you know, and maybe yeah. some detective work. I feel like a lot of this deer, a lot of things I do, is almost like I, I sometimes the analogy I use is like a um, a prosecution lawyer. Like before they go to trial, they get every shred of evidence. Mm. They have one chance to convict someone, and 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 before they go to trial, it's like you endlessly, you know, tirelessly work and, and get all these clues. So yep. you got this one chance of killing this deer, just like putting someone on trial. And I feel like that's how I approach my honey is I want to know everything, every clue, turn over every leaf. Um, and so I, I felt like, and maybe it's my personality type. So that's what I, at a 20 some years old, so this deer, um, and, and I did read a lot of hunting magazines younger and I felt like it didn't give me what I needed to know. Um, so I kind of in around them years, the 20th, 20 years, 18 to 20, I gave up reading the hunt magazines. I feel like the people that published them were maybe in the midwest didn't relate to where I was hunting and how, you know, there's oh, so yeah. many. Yeah. And I've learned over my years that there's just every state has different habitat, terrain, different mm. they just inhabit so That's a good point. many areas that not there's not one style. It's just and in, in where I am now I do some consulting work for people. Sure. And they usually ask me um, first they'll send me a pin and what do you think? I'm like, I got 20 questions for you because I need to get a feel for your situation. It's so situational and everybody's situation is different now yeah. in time and experience. You can draw, you know, draw off those and draw conclusions and, and help people. But, um, so yeah, I think what I did then it was just, I hiked every inch, every inch of the area. Like mm -hmm. I, and I, I didn't have mapping apps. So, I had old books, soil books that I looked with had aerial aerial photos and I would walk and I still now walk areas to I, in my mind, ha I could have a visual, mental visual picture. So I'll study Spartan Forge for, I mean, hours and hours and, and not just see it and, and learn it, but ingrain that in my brain. And so I, I started doing that and just like uh, early on and, and I, this big deer, I end up just walking and I would start inward and work out like a kind of like 
a circle, you know, out to about a you know square mile, maybe. Just know every every and, and there wasn't the maps to study, mm-hmm. so I had to walk and hike and learn all that. So I did that, and I um, got to know where the deer wanted to bed, and and it was early season, and and he was visiting his hay fields and eating clover and stuff like that. So these deer are still patternable that early on, you know, even this year I had good luck early. Um, So coming out of summer, feeding habits and stuff. So, yeah, I end up um, knowing where that deer liked to bed just for my summer scouting, find his rubs and nothing in the rut or anything, but just early on. And so I just let, and I do that now, I let the deer tell me um, what they want, where they want to be, how they want to live, you know, instead of, and I've done that from my twenties on. So, um, that's, that's just following them animals themselves and learning from them. It was a big step for me in my hunting career. And I, uh, so long story short, you know, it wasn't, it's not so much about the, the hunt, but, but what I shifted into sure. learning from these individual animals and, and how they live. And then they're all individual personalities, but then once you hunt up, 50 of them, 20 of them, okay, then you could draw conclusions and make comparisons and stuff and how they live. But So, yeah, I um, I hunted the deer. I, I remember the first day archery, got in a tree early, and guys coming in the woods with flashlights, this and that. And um, I hunted maybe two or three times, um, no luck, guys coming in, talking to guys in the woods. And, and um, so I found a little hillside. I remember a little hillside with just a little bit of saplings that still had, um, vegetation leaves on it. And there was an old railroad bed. So it was kind of like on the edge of his habitat and where he's wanting to live. I think with the hunting pressure, he just kind of moved out a little bit, just satellite and where his core area is. Mm -hmm. So there was this old, old railroad bed and I would walk it in and I would hunt up to this hollow guys this and that so um the one morning i hunted till nine and a guy ran into a guy in the woods and i come out of the woods and the railroad bed i was walking back to my car i said you know what i'm gonna walk the opposite way and i'm just gonna knock an arrow i remember this hillside had a couple little flat spots on it right along this old railroad bed which was as now as a rails to trails as a walking trail okay and even then yeah some people used it that way, you know, sure. um, very, like very few people would the, be the on the challenges of public land, right? Yeah. So I hiked down this, um, railroad grade and knocked an arrow and just looking up on that hillside. And I remember seeing beds when I scouted, you know, just, uh, out from this core area he was laying right there and he was kind of laying in a Southern slope there, a little oh, bit of sun beating on him laying in his bed. And I, um, I just, and I shot fingers back then and I just pulled back and nailed him at, I don't know, 20 yards maybe. Oh, and, man. uh, he got up, ran up the hill and fell over and it happened that fast, you know? That's so and cool. So, and actually, a guy come down the trail jogging, and I had already drug it down to the edge of the trail because that's where I was going to take him out. And the guy's like, oh, nice deer. And I'm like, I wanted to say, look at this deer's bit. And, you know, for this area, it's huge, you know? Yeah, right. So 
it um that was a like some another confidence booster like man i i figured this animal out you mm-hmm. know and look at the size of his rack and age and whatever um yeah so that was probably the, the shift in in i harvested some harvested deer does right then i got a rifle kill and it was like once i did that i, I jumped in leaps and bounds and like i'm ready for, for a new uh challenge and, and so i yeah. started hunting mature deer and i got i cut my first one got a second one and then i started you know as time went on i started challenging myself more you know as i accomplished my goals and now i hunt a lot of mountain terrain um where deer numbers are low vast amounts of ground that are hard to really hard to pattern you know but I, I, that's where I am, you know, and I still hunt public land. I'm going to Iowa this year, uh, Illinois, I'll be maybe North Dakota, but, um, I'd like to challenge myself. I don't want it to be, I want it to be some, you know, I make it hard on myself sometimes harder than it should be. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's, um, that's where I kind of learned my style just, and then a lot of, I, a lot of the hunting I did was just, following those animals and learning from them individually, not and seeing how they live through my eyes, you know, and with no one telling me, even nowadays, I don't listen to many podcasts or read much because I, you know, I pick up things here or there. Sure. But I, I, I don't know if, and, and I don't know what I'm doing, you know, is right, but it's how I know how to do it. Um, and, and, uh, so I, I keep working toward, you know, building on the knowledge I have. So, yeah, that's about where I'm at, Ken. Yeah. No, I love that, man. I love hearing those stories, and I can just kind of picture it there. You know, the couple things that stood out to me is, first of all, how cool is it that you grew up hunting deer near uh, Pittsburgh? I, I got to imagine that the movie uh, The Deer Hunter is like a uh, pretty big cultural thing for your deer hunting community um, there in the the Pittsburgh area. Is is that an accurate guess there? I mean, not not too big, but yeah, it is. Yeah, definitely. Sure. Yeah. That that uh, I remember watching that once. Uh, what a crazy movie! I mean, deer. Yeah. <laughs> the the title of it doesn't have much to do with what goes I on know. In, yeah. <laughs> in the film, but but um, oh, pretty some pretty iconic hunting scenes from. From there, I think that I heard just recently though that the deer that he shoots in the film um, is like wasn't it like a red stag or something like that or, or yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't even deer a white deer yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, you know, like when you really think about Pennsylvania, though, I mean, we we like to call ourselves the white tail state here in Iowa, but and obviously mm-hmm. that's because of our trophy quality, but but. Uh, from like a deer hunting culture thing, I mean, Mm-mm. it's probably a toss up between PA and and Wisconsin. I mean, those yeah, those two Michigan. states, yeah, oh yeah. yeah, they're just yep. so hardcore, and I love that. And and it's just a whole new a whole new thing, uh, where where you're at. And man, the challenges of hunting public land in either of those places and Michigan too, for that matter. I mean, just the number of hunters, the number of deer hunters you guys have compared to us out here. It's just, it's, it's a whole new, whole new world. So super cool. You saw, and it's also interesting too, what you talked about with the mapping, 
you know, one of the things I think we all probably like to do if we spend any time thinking at all is like, how hard would this life be if I put myself back before, you know, whatever was invented, you know, maybe it's before, uh, cars were invented. What would my Mm -hmm. life look like, you know, before electricity, before, you know, going right down the list, but something that a lot of hunters, a whole, you know, couple generations of active hunters now can talk about is the days before, you know, satellite mapping was in your pocket, you know, and, uh, you guys had to learn a lot of skills that my generation and the, the younger generations, um, just, you know, we can't, we can't really get those skills. I suppose we could intentionally, Mm -hmm like try to go without using that stuff but like it's so much a part of of what hunting is now for most people mm-hmm. but at the same time by having those skills you know I the, my uh, best friends growing up in in high school they uh they were twin brothers good athletes but they were uh um kind of like late bloomers you know and they had an older brother who was a couple years older than us and the same deal for him they like didn't hit their their growth spurt till they were like juniors or seniors in high school but yet they were playing all these sports you know like three sport athletes and uh having to play with kids that were all bigger than them all the time and then all of a sudden they hit their their growth spurt and, um, like their brother goes on to set the school home run record, <laughs> you know, cause all of a sudden he's like, he's playing, he's playing handicapped this whole time. And now all of a sudden he picks up all those skills playing, playing, uh, you know, as a small guy with the big guys. And now all of a sudden when he's the big guy, look out, you know, it's kind of the same deal. I think yeah. for a lot of you guys, Hey, we had to do all this stuff without the mapping. Watch what we do now that we get to you, you know, now that we can, drop waypoints where we see we find all the you know this deer sign you know watch out and yeah. so uh it's kind of i think it's kind of a good springboarding thing it probably has really paid off for you um you know having those those kind of old school experiences and taking them into a new school uh world you know would you agree with that yeah definitely and and i was just talking uh recently to a buddy of mine and his dad's uh, 60, and and my buddy's 30, and I, you know, I'm 44, and we were kind of talking about the past and how what we we did not know, you know, mm-hmm. like all the knowledge is there, like trail cameras, and it's where it's going, better bows, everything's improved, yeah. and it's just, you know, I love it, I just love to deer hunt, but man, the things we didn't know, like, mm-hmm. just like, so in PA, they have this big tradition. Everybody goes to Northern uh, Pennsylvania, there's a million acres of public ground. And, and I remember traveling up there and I had no clue. I didn't have no map. I just went where the old timers told me to go. And I sat, yeah. you know, one time I found a shed and there's some vast land. And I said, wow, I had no clue where that, you know, it's just, you were, you yeah. just find the trail, you know, and there's so much more to it that we've learned. Um, 
by ourselves or from others and the knowledge is out there. It's, it's, uh, really like, like I, and I, my analogy to this deer hunting is like, you're trying to build a puzzle, you get these pieces, but you don't know what the picture is. Hmm. You know, you might have a little red, red piece and a green piece. You don't know what you're building. Right. You, You get enough pieces of the puzzle up. It's a picture of Santa Claus. You know, you're like, okay, and that's you <laughs> killing the deer, you know, but until that point, it's just, there's like, and then I also relate to it as like maybe, you know, you drink so much alcohol and then you're, you're, the next day you forget what you did. It's like, it's like kind of the same thing. There's like pieces of your memory that's gone. I feel like that's an analogy too to how the deer hunting is. You don't know everything. Mm. You don't, don't remember it all. Yeah. You know, it's like there's foggy you know, like foggy pieces yeah, of of, yeah. The, of the picture. You're 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 trying to remember what you did last night. You know, it's it's you only have pieces that you're trying to fill in the, the clues. You know, and draw get clues here and there. But um, yes, it's pretty awesome. Um, both times, even when I, you know when I was in my teens, I remember we would park our vehicle. We just we go to West Virginia and we talk about this. How we just someone write down on a napkin some public land and we drove down there and we just bail out of our truck with our bows and a handful of arrows and you run up in the woods and there was no, we didn't even know where the boundary was. You know, you would, you see the markers. Okay, yeah, that's come true, yeah. I'll, I'll see you at dark, no phones, no nothing. You just sat up, take a tree stand and, and just sit in a tree and whatever comes by, but it's all those experiences and that, you know, is pretty, pretty wild to live in that time too when there was no maps no no phones you know and yeah primitive weapons and not much you know to to hunt them them times you know was really enjoyable also yeah yeah that that is really interesting you know i think man you you you're really painting like a an old school picture here and i don't know that we've ever had so this is going to be episode 185 and in 185 episodes i don't think we really ever talked about it like this before this is this is an interesting thing um i i oftentimes think like gen x so you'd be you'd probably be what a young gen xer right tail end of gen x yeah Uh, and because you're 10 years older than me i'm 34 you said you're 44 right 44, yeah. Yeah, and I, so I'm an old, I'm an older millennial, or kind of, well, kind of a middle millennial, I guess. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, kind of that band, like, I, so I grew up with, I think there was probably always, yeah, there was always a computer in my classroom, like in school and stuff. And yeah. so technology, you know, internet kind of came around for wide use when I was in grade school. Um, before that, nobody really used it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, so I, like, I definitely got, you know, a feel for what life was like in the eighties, nineties, you know, kind of era of technology and stuff. Yeah. But taking that to the hunting world, man, you didn't even have like the online forums, you know, like yeah, that were huge in the early two thousands. Uh, huh. And everything was either magazines or you talked, like you said, to the old timers that just knew the area yeah. or going to like a sporting goods store and maybe chopping it up with, uh, 
the guy working at the gun counter or something. And, you know, it's like, it's just kind of cool to think about that. You know, it's a, a unique area, but at the same time, you know, like compound bows were probably starting to get pretty lethal at that point. Yeah. You know, the, those like single cam bows and stuff like that. And, and, uh, was it all like we, aluminum arrows still then? Aluminum arrows. Uh, yeah, that was, and we were talking, uh, we, we were, we did a podcast there maybe uh, a week ago and it was with my buddy and his dad. Hmm. And I, remember telling them about the overdraw and they're like, what? So I don't know. Ken, you ever heard of an overdraw? No, I've never heard of that. Okay. So you're going to love this one. So (laughs) it was like, you like, you were the man. If you had an overdraw, you were like the cool kid in class. If you had an overdraw (laughs) on your bow. So basically what is it? What an overdraw was, was where your shelf is for your rest. Mm -hmm. It like, it was an aftermarket deal that, kind of bolted on where your rest would, you know, screw in the two bolts or the one bolt on the back of your riser. It was mm-hmm. like a shelf that came back toward where your string was, maybe four inches. Okay. Um, so then you mounted your rest there. So basically your rest wasn't just above your, your uh, handle grip. It was yeah. back toward you. So it allowed you to use shorter arrows. So a guy with a 20 nine inch draw might be shooting 24 inch arrows. So in the, the thought process or the man, you, you know, whoever invented it was like, you know, lighter, more speed, which, yeah. you know, it was like such a fad, but it's like, yeah, I got a ESC, whatever, with an overdraw. Like, oh man, that's cool. You know? <laughs> so That is wild. It's just yeah, like a little so, dart coming out of there, like a crossbow bolt or something. Yeah, and that's what you were shooting out of your compound. And I don't think I've ever had one, but it was like the best Man. thing to slice bread if you had one. And it, it kind of faded out. I remember that and telling uh, my buddy about that. Him and his cousin, they were just like laughing. Like they never heard nothing like that, you know. Yeah. Um, Man, that's that's so. interesting. It seems like you could uh, – if if an arrow fell off your rest or something, you could send one right through your forearm. Yeah, definitely. You could. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty, that's pretty wild. But yeah, yeah, just, I mean, it's, it's so cool to think of that and just a totally, you know, the lack of communication. I think that's huge. You know, like you said, going with your buddies out to a big old national forest and, and West Virginia, man, that place is thick. You know, that, that's yeah. like border-to-border border timber there. You know, it's like one big giant forest where you – there's a few, like, uh, towns carved out, you know. And uh, it's just a – it's like a big wild area. And to just walk into that – walk into that yeah. public land and not be able to text, you know, a buddy, hey, you know, yeah. I think I'm going to head back here in yeah. 15 minutes. Or, hey, can you come help me? I got – you know, I got – I'm following a blood trail, you know, just like you had to kind of figure it out, you know, and yeah, man, we would, that's, yeah, it's we just so different to think just, about that. We, we, we'd stay at a town. Actually, we had like a Atlas where you could see the green blobs on the Atlas. Mm. We're like, Oh, George Washington national forest. Let's go hunt there. Yeah. We <laughs> drive overnight and sleep at a hotel. And we asked the person again, where can we hunt? You go up top of the hill, make a right. Okay. <laughs> Here we that's go. so cool man that's that's yeah. awesome 
But man, going back to what we were saying though, the things you learn by by when you take away all the all the little safety nets that we have now to make mm-hmm. things work out, you know, it's just it's it's really impressive what those generations of hunters, you know, were able to achieve and now, you know, kind of going to where like being a Gen Xer, it it's an interesting time for you because you know, the, the the closer I get to it, the more I realize how young forty four still is. <laughs> you know the yeah the, yeah the you're still a you know a, a a young guy in a in a you know in a totally different world as far as technology goes from when you were in your twenties and mm-hmm. and uh, you're able to figure it out and use it now and you know speaking of Spartan Forge, that's really kind of how our paths crossed. We're both uh, good friends with Bill. And mm-hmm. what a, what a powerful tool now to have that. And, yeah. you know, I think, I think it's a good time to transition in our conversation here to, you know, scouting is, and maybe, and maybe this is why, maybe it's because of those days where scouting was so boots on the ground dependent for you. Um, mm-hmm. but that's kind of the name of the game for you. And, uh, I, I get the, I get the vibe, I guess, is maybe the right word, that you're kind of a 365 uh, deer scouting guy. Like you, that's, I mean, year-round, you're keeping tabs on where the deer are, what they're up to. And so I thought maybe just a good way to start this part of the conversation is, um, you know, if we break scouting down into probably three as they relate to deer, you know, really three meaningful times, which is, um, you know, uh, right before the season starts, you know, that little bit of preseason scouting during the season, which is the phase we're in now, of course, and then postseason. And so you want to maybe just give like, I don't know, maybe an elevator pitch on what you're looking for preseason during the season and right after the season for, you know, just like a general idea of scouting, you know, yeah. features you're looking for. Yeah. I'd say, I'd say it's, st- I'd, I'd start like in the postseason. We're looking at like January mm-hmm. into February. Uh, it's the best time, especially with Spartan Forge mm-hmm. and mark your scrapes, mark trails, put as much rub, signpost rubs, whatever. Cause I know back in the day, the one thing I did was, okay, there's a rub here, there's a scrape here. And you, you go back in, uh, in August, maybe your preseason, you know, before they start rubbing, and you, where was that rub? It was here somewhere. Your tree grows up, you know, you can't yep. really tell. Or where was this scrape, the screen? So get out there after the season. That's when most of your signs there from that season, your trails. Um, maybe have some cameras on food source, see what deer's left. You know, then uh, as – you know that that runs in through April, May at the at the latest. Um, then it kind of slows down for me a little bit to where I call it maybe summer scouting comes next. Sure. Where I'll drop cams for inventory and in, in browse areas where these deer are going to be seven, spending their summertime um, feeding, bedding, maybe near some water, um, variety of. Uh, browse in, in my area is is is, is key. Hmm. Maybe cuts, 
new growth. Um, so yeah, I get cameras running in, in areas like that. Um, and in PA, we used to were able to put mineral licks out, and now they outlawed that, which is fine, you know. Um, so yeah, um, where you think deer be, be active, um, feeding, browsing. Um, so yeah, I do my summertime scouting, get my cameras out. In some of these mountainous areas, it's not as popular um, or effective because some of it's rugged mountain to where mm. a lot of these deer aren't up yeah. that high, you know, maybe lower areas. But sure. yeah, I get some of my, my cameras out in the summer and and um, then I'll start trans- transitioning out of summer in, into like, you know, I kind of geared toward early season hunting and then maybe rut when I'm, when I'm, when I'm out there in the summer, I'm, I'm basically trying to find a deer that I can kill early season. Where's he wanting to feed? Where's he wanting to live early season? Mm-hmm. Um, like, can I get a crack at him? You know, then it could jump straight to like scrape, scrape season in the rut, you know, um, which could really transition hard so you got to be, be kind of looking ahead when you're in the summer scouting phase. Um, and I try to get most of that scouting done by September 1st. I feel like I'm not too afraid to put pressure on a deer, hike through the woods. And even some of this, this these areas I'm hiking might be new areas that I didn't sure. maybe scout, didn't get to in, in, the, in the postseason scouting. And I drop cameras, but, you know, mainly – focus on inventory of deer and trying to kill him early season sure you know and then and then take a crack at it there uh first week october do your hunting and then but at some point when you're you're hunting your deer early season you're starting to move your cameras and prep for like scrapes mass change of food source transition in their lifestyle from maybe a summer activity to pressured areas you know, hunting pressure and, and or change in food source, maybe it's acorns or, or what have you. Um, so then, you know, you're, you're kind of ready to hunt the, you know, the maybe scraping time of the year. And, and the more places you have scouted, um, I do a ton of, I like scouting, I think more than hunting. And the mm. more opportunities you have in through your hunting season for your, your, you know, your, your early season, and then into your uh, your rut, and then it also gives you, uh, so you don't always know where the deer is going to be. He, he's going to tell you where he's at. It might be different than last year. Things might change out there, and, you know, you got to be ready for a south wind, a north wind, an east wind, a west wind. You need to be ready for a, a, an 80-degree day, you know, a drought. Um, so all these different things come into play to hunt this and then the more animals you have to hunt, then you're able to um, say, okay, this deer, he's hanging out here. It's a south wind. I can hunt him. Okay, it's hot, you know, and maybe I'll get near the spring and there's a cover. Maybe this deer here. And this this year I had a, a couple deer we were on to, and a guy moved in and put a stand right where I was, and I just backed out. And then another area um, – they started skidding, logging uh, the area, and there was a skid. They were going out and cutting logs. And then oh, another, man. I mean, these are like 
my <clears throat> peak places that I wanted to hunt. <laughs> and another another area, they were opening up old oil well roads, and they oh, were working man. all through September. A big buck so three of my spots in my head. So you don't know what's going to happen. So the more scouting, the more time you can put in the woods, drop pins, and look at um, different areas, the better off you will be. So and then yeah, so when you 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 get out of the maybe early season, early October into the scrape hunting and, and looking forward to rut. Um, a lot of times I'm always scouting, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll like, even today we were in a kind of an area that, um, I was kind of drawing conclusion of where this deer was. And then we hunted and I said, well, you know, we hunted to about 10, 11 o'clock. And I said, I'm going to walk up on a hill another hundred yards. Cause the worst thing you want to do is not know the area extensively and, and, pick a spot based on your e-scout and your knowledge and here the deer just skirts by you at 50 yards. You don't get yeah. a shot. You put all that time in. So get down out of your tree and take a little walk around or save your middays. If, if your odds are low, man, save, you know, you're, you're in October and you're, you're, you're hunting grounds. Um, you can, I call it probing. You can probe around different areas and, and just maybe not, if you have an idea where the deer are, don't put too much pressure on them, you know, Sure. Get, get the knowledge of as much area as you can. Then, then you got different deer to hunt, different places, different winds, and that. Yeah. So yeah, I'm always scouting throughout the season. And some of my some of my most successful years was years that I I worked a lot and I didn't have time to hunt, and it was just find hot sign now and and get it and hunt. You know, there's always the odds in your favor a lot. Like, stay in the woods, get get out and and hike a lot. You know, like. The last two weeks, we didn't, honestly, we didn't do hardly any um, hunting. We did a lot of scouting. We'd do like mm. a morning or an evening and scout during a day. Just, I didn't feel confident. And, and when you go into hunting an animal, I mean, you're putting scent out there. you got to have the perfect entrance, you know, and yep. you could really ruin a spot that, you know, at another time. Just because you say you have to be out in the it's hunt season, you have to hunt. No, you don't have to hunt. You know, sometimes we'll just sleep in and say, hey, we're just going to, you know, this is me hunting a lot. It's kind of like like intensity and volume, you know. I mean, they don't go hand in hand. One's up, the other's down. So when you're intense and going in, getting up at 5 a.m., getting, you know, scent free, getting out there, being quiet, getting up in a tree, you know, you know, doing everything right, not making that. I mean, you got to be on your A game, you know, and it takes a lot out of you. So and that's yeah. another reason we don't. I don't hunt, like, now we're getting into the rut, and that's why we left early tonight, because we want to, there's going to be a lot of time in a tree, you know, and we, I don't want to burn myself out, um, with, which you can when, you, when you're trying to, you can't sprint for 500 yards, you know, right. you're going to slow down, and, and that when you when you start slowing down is when mistakes are going to happen, you know, you want to be sprinting at 40, 50 yards, that's it, you'll be yeah. hard on it in, in at the right time, so, um, yeah, but always just put as much time in the woods. And, and I know a lot of these areas, um, people say, aren't you worried about your scent? I said, to some degree. I mean, I just pulled a camera that when we put it out, I oh, I spent a lot of time in the woods at night because I get to a new area and it's the only time I have to pull cameras and scout. Yeah. We, we put a camera out in September on a scrape, put some scent on the scrape, and for some reason I must have left too much human scent around the camera. Every deer spooked. Hmm. You know, and it's like they come right up to the camera and, and they smell human scent. I'm, I'm assuming, you know. And they, well, I'm going back 
two months. And these deer all spit. But it's like, hey, it's a learning tool. I run a lot of cameras on videos. Mm-hmm. I'd rather just put as much time out there. You know, you're not going to, It's you know, you're going to leave scent. There's nothing you could do about it. But I'm hunting public ground. And, and I think someone said to me recently, aren't you worried about leaving the scent? I said, well, so I'll sit back and not go scout where it's public land. Everybody else go hike through the woods. So yep. that I'd rather be the one hiking through the woods and getting the knowledge. And then yep. you extensively know the area. You're not going to know where he's going to want to be when he lives with predators. That's, yep. that's, that's it. I mean, take me out of the equation. He's still going to do a lot of things similar because he's trying to survive when someone's trying to eat him. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's very well. I'm said. always, yeah, I'm always in the woods hiking and, uh, trying new areas, looking new areas, you know, yeah. and then the more you see, the more you learn. And you can, you can easily, when you start e-scouting, you get on spark boards, you can kind of pick areas, which will be good, you know, just from your experiences. And a lot of it is pressure based humans. Pressure and deer to me is, is, um, I use that to my advantage because that's a, that's a key, uh, component in these public hunting areas is yeah. pressure and so, like, even tonight, um, we pressured this deer a little bit, and we got out of there, and I know some, a bunch of guys are going to move in and hunt this area. So, and it's always the, to me, it's the unknown, like, the variable. Like, you don't know. You can read signs. You could, you could know how the deer is supposed to move and live, but when you start pressuring them, that's going to change a lot. Sign mm-hmm. could tell you he's there, but how is he living this, you know, and maneuvering through his habitat his, when he's pressured it's going to change a lot so you got to kind of learn that how that pressure is you know um affecting these deer so like we dropped some cameras we actually got down a tree a half hour early dropped cameras so i want to know i want to know what the pressure is we even put cameras on trails where guys go into hunt areas i want to know who's in there you know what's what i don't want to get down there and read sign to get up in a tree but 10 guys were in there for a week blowing it up you know yeah so a lot, no, lot of my um, hunting is, is learning learning what what the other hunters are doing in the area and how they're you know that that's what i, I that, and that's another thing of the public hunting that it's, it's another challenge is, is not just reading sign and knowing what is it's like the unknown variable what is going on What's the hunt pressure like here? How are they affecting these deer? You got to know that because if you don't know that, you can sit for days on end on the hottest scrape. Mm-hmm. But if he comes in at nighttime, you might as well sit on your couch. You know. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, there's a guy that's been on this podcast just recently, uh, Clint McCoy. He writes for North American Whitetail and does some some TV stuff for them as well, and. Uh, just a, he's, he's a really smart guy. He's a, for his nine to five job, he's a uh, veterinarian. And so Mm -hmm. the guy just like understands animals well, you know? And I mean, he is just, you know, similar to you. He spends so much time scouting and he's just really a, a hardcore kind of guy. And he, he, um, has made a bunch of posts uh, here lately about how he's been doing exactly what you talked about. He's using these hot days to go in in the middle of the day 
and move cameras around to try and you, you know pinpoint where these bucks might be hanging out he's um he's uh maybe even you know looking for fresh signs stuff like that and he even intention intentionally does his own version of uh the Andre DeQuisto bump and dump um strategy mm-hmm. and he likes to call it uh boosting a buck and uh he he calls that uh he calls it that because he's comparing it to uh carjacking <laughs> like boosting a car mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah and uh you know i think you can get away with that in different parts like what you know at the beginning of this conversation it's it's locale dependent you know like obviously a piece of public ground in pennsylvania where the habitat is more uniform and there's just more of it Mm -hmm. you know like you guys have so much whitetail habitat there or even in much of wisconsin michigan even missouri and in parts there and where you just have these large expanses of timber eastern ohio Mm -hmm. same deal west virginia if you if you try bump and dump it's probably going to be tougher for that to work out but where clint's at he's in illinois and where i'm at in iowa habitat is so limited Mm -hmm. that there's only so many places where these animals can live you know so it's like you can get in there and find that fresh sign and yeah you might boost him out of his bed but there's a very good chance he's going to come back to it because he's already figured out hey you know this is yeah this is this work this is where i'm safe this is what i know and i could run 500 yards the other way but there's even less habitat over there and maybe too you know I, i never really thought of it this way but we just interviewed a guy who's from uh nebraska nate dodson and he got to participate in this uh collaring of a of a uh mountain lion on his ranch that he works on in in nebraska and uh he talked about how when they collar these young male cats they will range super far because they're trying to find a spot that isn't Mm -hmm. already occupied by another dominant male. You know what I mean? And I think that same thing, especially this time of year starts to happen to bucks too. You know, it's like, like obviously eventually you end up with those really confrontational moments. You get these big buck wars, you know, which in a way, yeah, it's for breeding rights, but it's also kind of a territorial dispute too. You know, I mean, that's what rubs and, and scrapes are kind of, you know, playing into. And I think these bucks will kind of like, you can get away with some stuff doing some of this in season scouting because that that's already shaken out like the pecking order, you know, like uh, this five and a half year old buck, he's kind of, you know, rules this farm over here and that woodlot, you know, and this, this uh, three-and-a-half-year-old is the biggest deer on this farm, and he kind of hangs out over there in this old hedgerow. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like these bucks, they kind of, like, find their spot that they fit into, 
and they kind of stick, you know, after these bachelor groups break up and they kind of, kind of stick there. And I mean, would you agree with, with, with that part of it too? Like in some cases you can get away with some of that in season scouting and putting a little pressure for that investment of getting that Intel and you can get away with it to some extent. Yeah. yeah, I'd say that's really true. They, they do kind of find where they want to be, you know, and I think, um, you know, through the winter, the deer die off or what have you move. New ones are born. These guys get older. Mm -hmm. This one gets young, gets puffs his chest out and, you know, through, through, through the velvet, you know, and, and they're kind of buddies, but then they lose that velvet. They kind of, you know, to me, they do like jockey for a spot, you know, Mm -hmm. where they want to be. And I've seen deer live in a spot and, you know, Oh, he'll be here next year. And he moved for whatever reason, you know, maybe, you know, I see some of these four to five year old deer really aggressive. And then they get to the five or six that they don't want to be bothered with, you know, and I see how they, they want to live just kind of more of a loner status, you know, Mm -hmm. and you know, not always the biggest racks or the, you know, the boss buck. Um, Sure. But you can kind of, you know, definitely see, you know, know where he's at and, and um, yes, scout, like we, what we did was we, I call it probing where we go in and just poke a little bit, you know, where mm-hmm. you think he might be. Don't, don't go all the way in there. I'm not saying you can't. Um, I say you can definitely get in there and, and run through an area, but we're also kind of, we're like kind of probing and trying to hunt at the same time. We've been going for like yeah. four days on a couple of days off. So, um, when, and like you said, these areas we're at, I mean, we're talking huge areas that you could just run that 500 yards and just stay over there. We're trying right, to get yep. in there and learn a little bit and hunt them. But, um, I do believe they're, they're there for a reason, you know, yeah. it works. Um, they're going to get away from, they have what they need, you know, it's all, and I feel like it's all right there. You know, the older they get, the more, I mean, the food the covers their water, the, the does are there. So, um, they got their escape routes and, and it works. And, and so, yeah, you can definitely get some scouting in on, on them areas. And then we do pressure them like we did. We come to this area quite a bit and we actually, oh, so there was a parking spot that everybody parks at and there's this hollow. It's probably a mile long and there's kind of a trail that goes up along the Creek and mm-hmm. the guys park on the road and hike up, you know, the, the, the Creek intersects the road perpendicular, you know, to the road. It just kind of runs away, uh, runs up in the woods. Sure. So everybody walks up that trail parks, walks up in the woods. Right. So just your first 300 yards up on the right side, this North slopes kind of got a cedar thicket. And, uh, you know, I say, I said, that buck's probably laying right there. You hear everybody park, you know? And yeah. so we started parking, did our scout, whatever, a couple of weeks ago. We started parking up the road, three, 400 yards, walking back and going up the hollow, you know? Because he wants mm-hmm. to know another thing about his mature deer. They want to know, and like my analogy to th- these deer, they want to know where the, you know, their killers are coming from. Like, the way I look at it, if, if you were in your house and someone was coming after you, 
you'd be looking out the window with your gun. I mean, you'd yeah, be looking right. out, waiting to see. Hey, I want to see him coming. I want to know where he's coming from. Yeah. I'm going to have That's someone looking at the back door. I'm going to look out the front. I'm not going to go hide in the closet, you know? Right, yeah. So these, a lot of these big deer want to know, and they'll be right there. So um, That's a good point. And it's not always, like, they in these deer, don't. it's not like you got one bedding area. It's kind of like they overlap. He might be on this mountaintop. He's on his valley. He got safe places, and I call them safe places. So a whole other topic. I want to find these deer in safe places to them. This is a safe sure. place, and I run a lot of my cameras on video to see how they react. You know, if they're in, on a scrape or somewhere, you know, and they're looking around, this and on edge. If you find them in these safe areas, they're like guards down. They never been bothered there. You know, this is mm-hmm. for years. But going back to the story of us hiking up the street. Um, so we parked the other morning, I think it was yesterday morning and we wanted to head up to hollow and hunt. So we parked three, 400 yards up the road, come back down the road. So he wouldn't hear us park right there and go up the hollow. Hmm. And then another thing, you got the leaves falling this time of year. And if it's dry, they're crunchy. If you ain't got a wind, you got, you know, so we had a, we checked the leaves before we even parked. I said, we got, we got a good do on these leaves. We can hike up that hollow and he won't hear us. Won't hear us park, won't hear us go up the hollow. Sure. Well, we walked all the way back to that parking spot where we wanted to go up the hollow. Before we stopped off, stepped off the road, he was up on that hillside, just deepest snort I ever heard. Hmm. And this deer, I bet he goes 250 on a hoof. His neck, he don't even have a neck. It just goes right from it. He's a big, I call wow. him cubby. You know, we got it. So it was like, we're done. You know, so what we end up doing, and we should have maybe did, um, is go up on the other mountain, the other, the, the south slope, kind of up where our vehicle is. You got to do stuff like this if you want to be successful with these deer. Um, yeah. Where we parked, we went up on that mountain all the way up. We come down in that hollow, come down the hollow, then up on the hillside to hunt. So that's what we've been doing, you know. But um, yeah, you got to do some extra things just you got to be mindful of them and it's not much sometimes i give them more credit than do for these animals i sometimes put them up on a pedestal like they are that good you know but we have the ability to reason and, and think ahead and, and and you know we have all these and i always say to people man if they only knew what we you know yeah, all these trail yeah. cameras and we show our buddies pictures of each other that you know they freak out like all the things we do just to yep. get a deer you know, it's a good it's pretty point. crazy. Never thought of it that so, way, but that is a good point. It kind of yeah. it's like that meme that surfaces this time of year, uh, every deer season, where it's like, I wonder if the the deer are thinking about me as much as I'm thinking yeah. about them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. It is interesting, you know how we how we invest all that and and pressure is, you know, it, I think sometimes too we can focus on the bump and dump and the you know, you can get away with more than you think and use aggressive tactics. Like we say those things and listen to those things and prop those things up because it makes us feel better. You know, mm-hmm. when we do get busted or when we do like get caught up in the heat of the moment and we like get a little too, too aggressive or something. And so, I mean, like, I think there's some of that where we try to justify it to ourselves a little bit to help us not freak out. But Overall, I do think you're right. Like you can get away with quite a bit. And sometimes I think we do like 
prop these animals up too much as far as like make them almost, you know, supernatural. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, They're not. Yeah. It's just not the case. Yeah. They're, they're, um, not immortal, you know, they're right. Yeah. They're going to make, they're going to make some mistakes and, um, you know, I think just the idea of trying to catch them as off guard as possible. Well, if you're going to do that, you know, like all of us, we, we all have our most vulnerable moments where somebody could pull one over on us. And mm-hmm. the way you're going to find out what those moments are, it goes back to scouting, right? You know, you figure out their behavior and, uh, you then try and capitalize. And so it's the same thing with, with deer hunting, you know, you're going to, you gotta, you gotta learn the animal. Like you said, each individual animal, as, as you mentioned, they're all, you know, their own individual creature with their own personalities and traits and, yeah. <clears throat> and abilities. And, and, uh, the more scouting you do, the more you can figure that out and find the, the chink in their armor or whatever the, the phrase is, the gap in their armor. Yeah. And, you're right. And, um, you know, that's what we're, that's what we're trying to do when we're, when we're scouting. So, um, you know, as we, as we kind of like work towards the end here, uh, we've, we talked about the beginning of the show, just 2023 has been kind of a challenging deer season so far. Normally October is my favorite month to hunt. Uh, the past two years, I really like hunting the early muzzleloader season here in Iowa. I just think it's a dynamite season. You know, you get the benefits of early in the deer season, so not a lot of pressure yet um, on the deer. And you're basically bow hunting with a gun, is how I like to say it. You know, yeah. and um, I couldn't hunt that season this year. And uh, the crops came down super early this year um like really almost you know three weeks in advance probably ahead of schedule maybe even more um in some cases than what we normally have and i know a lot of guys are like oh i can't wait till the corn comes down then i can you know see what's going on out in the field and stuff well i can tell you right now that when the corn comes down uh, yeah, you can see what's going on in the field because in a lot of ways, ain't nothing going on in that field once the corn comes yeah. down. You know, like that's habitat. That's a that's a temporary forest for those deer. And uh, because the crops came down early here on this farm, we just don't have a ton of habitat. It has been a ghost town. And, yeah. and uh, you know, it's like, okay, now I'm to this point going into the last week of the season you know, didn't get to hunt the early muzzleloader. Haven't really seen a ton of bucks uh, this year. Um, you know, it's time to start making some adjustments. And so as we're like transitioning now into this pre-rut phase where bucks are up and moving, um, what kind of sign should I be looking for? And our listeners, what should they be looking for as they're out in the woods to try and you know, as we finish up October and go into November, try and uh, still have a successful um, archery season. I think one big thing that people don't think of is, you know, when your leaves fall, it covers up a lot of stuff. You know, you're not seeing trails mm. that you might have seen 
That's a good so point. So it's almost like you got to be mindful of what was there. You know, mm-hmm. even the droppings when when they're um, defecating, it goes down in the leaves a lot of times. But yep. As time goes on, you can see these leaves break down. You know, if you look at the leaves in December and January, I know they're like out in Iowa, there are more deer, you know, the square mile than in these forested areas. But still, mm-hmm. I'm looking for where um, leaves are getting broken down. You could actually see um, the deer sign, you know, them walking, defecating, you can even see, but um sunday when i was in pa we had a rainstorm and uh the fresh fallen leaves were kind of matted but not they weren't gravity didn't take over and rain and snow and animals people walk them and they were just like floating on top of whatever was underneath and there was a wet you know they weren't broken down the leaves were kind of the wet just laid out over top of everything and, and i we're not allowed to hunt on Sundays in PA. Yeah, that's right. So these fresh layer leaves, I went out and, and it was almost like to me an inch of snow on the ground. I could see tracks because now they're, you know, over over time they're going to get broken down and flattened out. You could just see how they, man, it was like tracks all over the forest, and I, it was, I could see where bucks walked and just kicked, mm-hmm. you know, um, down in in the leaves. But that being said, you don't you're going a lot of this signs getting covered up, but I, I do, when I'm in the woods, you know, around now, I'm, I'm looking for leaves being kicked up, you know, where, where deer have been milling around. I tell you, the, there are deer here, and, and we're looking at um, that the, the rut coming in, and that's what these bucks, where they want to be, where the deer are, you know. But most parts, you know, you could kind of sometimes on a wet ground see, like, doe tracks are smaller, you know, but you start seeing um, deer activity in the forest floor, these bucks are going to seek these areas out. And, and these are areas um, that the people aren't. And that, that's always mm. where you want to be. There's there's times I've went to public lands and heavily hunted areas, Iowa, Illinois, and I would go about prime time, and I'd near run through the woods, walk as fast as I can, mm can bump deer see deer see where the fresh maybe after a rain and i'd see where guys stands were and i could see around them there's no deer sign Mm -hmm. how guys would walk in the woods the same trail and then there'd be like a buffer around these spots where these deer live with humans and they would move around them and and i would just take note of where i would see deer does okay there's deer okay i know there's deer here well i guarantee a buck knows i know this guy's here um so a speed scouting trip like that pays off. But, um, yeah, see where deer are definitely, um, especially after a rain, see where deer are. I mean, I'm kind of eliminating cameras right now because we're about done with that. I'll, I will get to a, <clears throat> a ground, different state. I'll check cameras. You know, sometimes sure. we're like humans. I'm going to see who's hunting here. You know, if the deer, you know, if I'm getting some daylight pictures, but I'm not trying to get to watch some cameras. I'm not trying to say oh he was here yesterday i'm not doing that well, my scouting's done i need to just you know there's still some light scouting going on but it's time to hunt you know and you want to be where the deer are and it could be a crazy time in the rut but if there's deer there hey you're in a, you're already in, in, the, in the green you know you're you're 
you're already starting to race off good because these bucks know where the deer are. You know, whether it's, you know, the deer are going to be where there's food, where there's cover, you know, where the humans aren't. You know, especially getting this time of year if you're on a piece of public. So find the deer, get in, you know, play the wind, and, uh, you know, you have, did your scouting. You could, you could not worried about scrapes anymore. You know, if you know there's mature deer in the area, um, it can come down to being a waiting game, you know. But like I said, right. um, it, it is different than earlier in the season to where, like now we hunted this area, we pressured a deer. It's, it's in close quarters. It's not, not, it's probably nocturnal, but 70 degrees. You can yep. kind of get, if, if there's not much hunting pressure, you can kind of get away with more yourself because different deer are going to be moving. It's crazy. Doe might come off the mountain, run down, and bring a buck with them, you know. Mm-hmm. But if you're in an area where deer are, you know, you know there are deer here. And that's kind of what, when I'm going to a different state now, we're going to go to back to PA uh, this week. I'm going to check some cameras. Hey, there's deer here. Not so much, you know, this buck, this buck that's on a camera now. I mean, right now he's probably still around because we're getting into Halloween. He's probably there for doe. But as we mm-hmm. go forward, he could be a mile away. But yep. if there are deer there, there ain't really hunters. You should have your areas kind of scouted. Um, we're just going to get in a tree. If it's a place deer are, I guarantee a buck's going to be seeking out an area like that. You know, and it's it's time in a tree, really, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. yeah See where that's the deer a, are. That's a good way to put it. And, you know, uh, a few years ago, I when I started first learning about, again, you know, a manure hunter, when I first started to learn about guys doing all day sits, I would hear it kind of pitched in, you know, this way where it's like, Hey, if you're really hardcore, you're going to do all day sits. And uh, this was like during, you know, pre rut rut timeframe that they were talking. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and, the other person who they were talking with is also an experienced hunter is like, yeah, I just don't ever do those. I can't do them. I always have to do the, the, uh, you know, late morning break, you know, and come back and go eat something or, and do something else. Then I come back out for that afternoon, evening, uh, part, but I, I don't. And, and I mean, everyone, again, every situation is different. Um, but I really feel like if you have the time off, like if you got a whole day off, um, when it's, when it's like it is now and through the rut, like you just said, it is so important to put in those hours to be there when the deer are going to be there that, that, uh, I understand now just how critically important it is to, and and maybe you don't stay in the same tree the whole day. You know, like I mm-hmm. think there's still some, I mean, I think one of the things we forget about with the rut is the doe side of the equation. Like we're, we're just so concerned. What are the bucks doing? What are the bucks doing? And yeah. uh, the does, I mean, yeah, they can get pretty squirrely too during the rut, but really only if they're in heat, you know, like if if a doe isn't in heat, she's kind of just doing normal doe things, you know. It's like bed bed to food, you know, and and so like an all day sit to me might mean, well, 
I'm really in a way hunting the does when it's the rut or the pre-rut because that's where the bucks are coming to. That's the limited resource that that the bucks are looking for. And so in the morning, I'm probably going to hunt an area that's closer to a bedding area where, you know, does are going to come walking through and, and bucks are going to be trying to get downwind of it, you know? Oh, and then in the evening, you know, it's probably more like, okay, where do I think the does are going to come out to feed in the late afternoon, early evening, because that's where the bucks are going to follow them to. And, you know, so, but at the, regardless of how you do it, like, I think it just goes back to what you're saying of you got to put in the time to be there while the yeah. deer are going to be there. And, uh, I mean, I think it's kind of that simple in a way. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely find a deer and get in the tree and put your time in. And, you know, there's the, the rut is unpredictable. And, you know, if you think about the whole year of 365 days, to be in a tree four to five to six days is nothing, really. Right, yeah. You know, if you put it in yep, that type of point. perspective, you know, in, when you get older, you start looking at it like, hey, how many more ruts am I going to be climbing up these mountains to hunt these deer all mm-hmm. day? You know, so it's like, time is limited. I need to be out here as much as possible. And I also sometimes get down and I'll do like a little, maybe a hundred yard walk around my area, just kind mm. of, mentally break it up or I'll move a hundred yards. Yeah. Kind of almost verify this is the right spot because I'm seeing all these scrapes or I'm seeing some fresh rubs. Is that, is that kind of basically what you're doing? Yeah. Just, just, just like give your, I mean, there's times when I get in a tree and my instincts take over and I know that's a spot I need to wait there and time just flies. And by like, come on edge because it's going to happen. You know, that's just your experience, your intuition, your sixth sense sense and, and your experience in the woods it all sometimes jails together to where it's like there's times I, I could I don't know a bunch of times anymore now I, I know a deer is going to come or I know I'm going to shoot a deer like it's come yeah. that clear to me that but that's not o- often the case but it, it, other cases where you just need to be in the woods sometimes I'll just for a different change of scenery maybe I'll move a hundred yards get up in a tree you know just to get down maybe especially if you're bold go a hundred yards, get in another tree, you know, but, um, you're still hunting, you know, just maybe a change of scenery. You're in the same location. And, and I don't cry too much over spilled milk. It's it like, if you make a decision to get down and move or get out early, you live with it. It's like, don't go back and, and like people say, Oh, I missed my buck. I said, that's right. Go, go shoot another one. Go find another one. Keep hunting. Don't, you do better let it play in your head, but then you release it. You keep going forward, you know, can't take too many steps backwards. Um, right. What's what, what learn from it and move on. That's how I look at it. Game over. What'd you learn? Okay. What's your next step? So. Yeah. Yeah. That's well said. That's very well said. It's a forward, yeah. it's a forward thinking mindset, you know, always, what am I gaining from today? That's going to help me, uh, the next time. And when, it, when you have that mindset, I oftentimes feel like I can't lose really because I'm getting something, you know, and that might even yeah. mean you don't get a deer. You might go somewhere and not fill a tag. And, but as long as you came away with, you know, you punched your, t- your information tag 
you know, yeah. now you're more dangerous next time you're going in there. And um, that that's, that's coming home with a trophy in of itself. So, and I, well, uh, for a handful of years, I've shot a lot of deer early on, a lot of good deer. And I think it was a stretch of four or five years. I just wanted the biggest deer. I wanted 160 inch deer. And there was times there wasn't any. So I just yeah. loved, like, I would, my, you know, it'd be January. I'm still hunting, you know, mm-hmm. not even really have a deer that I'm killing. But my buddy, I said, you want to go hunting? He said, oh, I'm a war out. I said, man, I'm learning so much, you know, by not killing an animal and keeping my tag to where fast forward X amount of years that I, you know, did kill that deer in that state or whatever. But I put the time in from September, October in the tree and the November, the snow falls, the deer hunters afterwards, where they're eating, where they're, how to find them. And it's just like, man, I gave it a good effort and I come away with so much knowledge that, you know, when it comes time to kill deer again, this is going to be easier because I, I was in the, that's why a lot of times I'm afraid to shoot a deer because as soon as you pull the trigger, it's done, you know, and there's yep. times when I worked all the way up through October and, and I wouldn't get out till the end of October. There's a few times I remember getting out and I could have shot a good buck right there, but I'm like, no, I, I don't, you know, it's the experience, the whole thing, the, whole, mm. the hunt itself, like being out a couple sits, not seeing nothing, you know, having the fall, you know, check some cameras, haven't seen some doe. And then, you know, it's kind of like you want to experience all, when you get older, things change for you as a hunter. You know, you might be like, I looked at myself and I wanted to kill a lot of, I killed everything, you know, shot does, bucks, then big bucks, then enjoy just hunting and not, not really worried and, and seeing other people have success. And, and I'm, there at that point and have been to help other people, you know, over the podcast and, and, and doing consulting and just, you know, and it's, you know, it just grow and, and change and, and just hunt to where you don't even worry about killing anything. It's yeah. a great hunt. You know, I'm not working. And, uh, yeah, that's right. But, but when you get back to, to, to want to harvest a deer, you have a lot of experience of, you know, being in the woods all those times and seeing yeah. what goes down, you know, through December and that as you're still out there, you know, to know where they yeah. winter or stuff like that to where you're more effective when it comes time to kill. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said. Very well said. Well, man, I'm, I'm jacked. Like this is such good information that I'm going to start applying instantly. And, um, it's cool because a lot of times when you record these podcasts, you're recording them in like May. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, well, I got five months to give this a shot. You know, yeah. I got to go try this stuff tomorrow, you know, and yeah. I enjoy enjoy the uh, uh, the great time of year that it is to be in the deer woods and, and uh, you know, see how, see how making some of these adjustments can pay off in, in you know, very real time. So... Man, I just really want to thank you, Johnny, for jumping on here. I think this is a master class and, and something that's very relatable and achievable, you know, for our listeners and for myself. All things that we can implement, and uh, it's not some big lofty thing or something that requires a 1,000 acres of private land access. You know, this is all stuff 
anyone that can get themselves over to a piece of public land can can put into practice and and uh, see you know pay off for them but but um yeah just really want to thank you for coming on the show thank you to uh, the listeners for tuning in each and every episode, man, you guys have been coming out in full force here lately. It's just so cool to see how many people are uh, finding first gen hunter and, and tuning in. And what it shows me is that this content, like this episode with Johnny is just timely. It's helpful for people. Uh, maybe it's encouraging too. you know, like there's just good stories in, you know, that come from the guests on the show that might just help you uh, keep things together as you go through your deer season. As Johnny said, so much of it is a mental uh, exercise and a mental test. Uh, And hearing the good stories, hearing the successes of others, hearing the failures of others too. Like that can all be kind of like help us maintain our confidence, say, hey, this isn't just hard for me. This is hard for everybody. We're all trying to make it work. And, uh, that's, you know, there's, there's comfort that can be gained from that, I think. And so, um, whatever phase you're in, I'm glad you're tuning in and I'm, and I, and I hope you're finding the podcast to be helpful for you. And, uh, you, you know, even though it's really cool that Johnny and some of the other guys that were hunting before the era of having a cell phone in your pocket all the time, now that you can have one, you need to have the most powerful hunting app there is. I heard somebody talking about another one today and I'm like, no, 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 no. You know, like, yeah, Yeah. sure. Maybe that app is good, but it ain't Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge. I, I really believe it when I say, I'm not just saying this because, you know, uh, Bill is paying my bills here, uh, on the first Gen hunter podcast. I it's, it's because I truly believe in it and I'm seeing more and more people, uh, jump on board with Spartan Forge and use it um, uh, over other options because of what Bill has built. And um, it's from the the detail quality of the imaging for, for the maps all the way to these really unique wrinkles that Bill has built in, uh, starting with, of course, the artificial intelligence uh, interpreted uh, deer behavior tracking, you know, telling you what kind of deer movement you can expect each day based on the weather conditions and the the time of year and and all that, you know, the the rut history uh, to what we have today, which is the lidar mapping, which is incredibly useful if you're doing a lot of e scouting for new hunting ground. It really shows you what you can expect from the terrain. Um, I think it's the closest thing. I think, I really think that the LIDAR is the closest you can get to boots on the ground scouting. Um, because we've all, we've all had the e-scouting problem of, wow, this looked a lot different on the app than it did, you know, now that I'm here, you know, or not just Spartan Forge, but, but any mapping app or even like Google earth, you know, like things look one way, but then when you see the scale of them in real life, um, it looks it looks a little bit different. Well, Bill introduced the LIDAR map layer, and I think that gets you as close to um, what the terrain's really going to be like 
uh, and what the what the topography is really going to be like when you get there. And so that's a new thing. And then the one that I've just I've talked about it quite a bit here lately, but I'm loving it. Caleb and I are using it a lot. We hunt a lot of the same areas. We're planning a hunting trip together. That is the Blue Force Tracker, and uh, just a a super useful tool when you're hunting with a buddy somewhere. You can share all your waypoints through that without having to go through and individually select each waypoint, text a link to your friend. No, they get to see the map as you see the map when you include them as a as part of your Blue Force Tracker team. And uh, also, um, there's a new feature um, uh, that's that's helping with hunt planning. Uh, partnering with uh, Easton's, Alex has been really enjoying checking that out. Um, and so it, there, there's just so much going on with with uh, Spartan Forge. It's constantly evolving, and it's it's uh, something that I'm very proud to be partnered with. And and so Spartan Forge is the presenting sponsor here, of course, at the First Gen Hunter Podcast. You can find links for it here in the show notes. Or if you go to my Instagram, you can go to my uh, link tree in my bio. Be one of the top links there. Get going with Spartan Forge. You can download the bare bones mapping, which gives you all 50 states and landowner uh, information, you know, all of that for free. But I think once you get going with the free version, you're going to want to subscribe for the paid version to get all the additional things that I was just talking about. So again, find the links for those in these show notes or in my Instagram bio. And then the second sponsor that's been here almost since the beginning is East to West Hunts. Alex Gruen, of course, and, and oftentimes the co-host on this show, um, plans hunts for people that um, are just take it so much further beyond you know most people's DIY capabilities. Alex does a deep dive on all the information you're going to need uh, from, you know, finding or sending along waypoints for glassing areas to um, talking to local fish and game and biologists to find out what the animals like for food and for bedding cover and and uh, maybe have there been any uh, outside factors like a big EHD outbreak or something that lowered the number of animals in an area. Uh, he goes through all of that and finds that, those details out to get set you up you know on your best possible trip that you can have for for having a successful hunt alex puts it all together he'll even take care of the tag applications for you help coach you up on buying points for the right things at the right times so you can get to all your goal hunts uh, before you're too old to get to them Alex puts all of it together and uh, just really does a phenomenal job. I've seen it firsthand. We came home with a bear from Northwest Montana, and and had we not had Alex helping us, it just most likely would not have happened. Um, And so Alex helps narrow down, you know, those odds in your favor um, for uh, planning a successful hunting trip. So go to easttowesthunts.com, tell them that you – learned about him from this podcast and you'll save 10% off anything you book through Alex. So uh, definitely go to East West hunts and talk to Alex. And then finally our most recent uh, sponsor to come on is old barn taxidermy. Caleb was just there today 
and uh, he's he's just loving loving his new work that he had done there. He actually did one of the pack out mounts, which is really cool for the Illinois buck that he shot last year. And I uh, just had a great time talking with Colton down there, the the kind of the front desk guy, and and uh, just enjoying you know the sights there in the the showroom. It's just an experience every time you go. And Old Barn's going to take care of you as as be- as good as anyone can. Get your taxidermy done the right way. Uh, nothing worse than settling for poor quality taxidermy. You'll regret it forever. Um, uh, so so go to Old Barn Taxidermy. You can send them your work, um, or you can visit their location in southeast Iowa in Fort Madison, Iowa, and uh, you can uh, get the best quality mount that money can buy. Uh, and it's worth it that you're going to want to look at that trophy forever. Like I said in the, one of the last podcasts, I uh, spend, I think, probably 20 to 25 minutes every day looking at my shoulder mounts and just admiring them and being so thankful for having the opportunity to harvest those animals. And I wouldn't be doing that if I went with poor quality taxidermy. Um, but I'm proud to display them right there in my living room. My wife lets me display them in the living room because it's done the right way by Old Barn. You can find a link for Old Barn in the show notes and get your own living room quality taxidermy work done for your trophies. And uh, you'll be you'll be glad you did. So, well, thank you again, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you to Johnny for coming and uh, joining me tonight and, and really uh, giving a master class on how to scout more effectively, sharing some great hunting stories with us. And uh, I'm excited to see what uh, you end up tagging yet this year, Johnny. Yeah, I got, uh, we're getting into the thick of things, so, uh, and what's great about hunting is you don't, I don't know what, you know, to expect, um, yeah. come end of the year, it might be tag soup, I might have five bucks, I don't, you know, it's, and you're going to do all you can, I mean, I shot a deer in West Virginia two weeks ago, and started off good, I, I kind of did the same thing last year, and went the rest of the season without harvesting another deer. So yeah, it's great about it. You don't know what the outcome is. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. So I'm excited to see what all comes together for everyone. Please reach out to first gen hunter. Uh, you, you can, uh, contact me through Instagram or go wild or Facebook. Um, you can even contact me on the website for shenhunter.com and uh, be happy to hear from you. I love hearing from listeners. It's the best part. And uh, share, you know, your success stories with me and, and uh, um, be happy to, to see what everyone's, you know, tagging in the woods this year. So definitely reach out and uh, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you haven't yet. It's a huge help to expanding the listenership of the show. And uh, until next time, everyone, take care and take someone hunting.